Hello and welcome. I'm Bonnie. And I'm Lily. And this is Little Home Organised, a podcast dedicated to helping you declutter, get organised and reclaim time for the things you love. My grandmother is 83 years old. She has the same cast iron pan from when she was 17. What? (laughs) Absolutely not. No (laughs) one needs a melon baller. You heard it Um, here first. (laughs) Raw chicken should always be stored at the very bottom of your fridge. Why? Welcome. In today's episode, we will be joined by Chef Kyle Johnson to talk about organizing your kitchen. This episode is all about the basics that every kitchen should have, the gadgets even a chef doesn't need, and what to do with all those excess utensils. Welcome, Kyle. Hey, guys. How's it going? Great. So, Kyle, first things first, can you tell us where you are calling from? I'm calling from Charlotte, North Carolina of the US of A. Ooh, all right. And we, of course, Kyle, would love to know a little bit more about you. So when I met Kyle back when I was in the States in North Carolina, I was definitely drawn to his personality and his use of the word (laughs) ma'am. It is very sweet, isn't it? (laughs) It I love it. (laughs) It's very different to um, how we do things down here in Australia. But Kyle, can you just tell everyone a little bit more about yourself, where, where you were born and how you became interested in cooking? Yeah. So originally I'm from New Orleans, Louisiana. For those who aren't familiar with New Orleans, to the degree of how you would be in America, it's a better, very food and party cultured city. And so even if you don't cook, the food part of it is really part of your overall pastime in your life. So I always like to say that I grew up in the culture of food, even before I knew I wanted to be a professional at it. So I always grew up cooking with my parents and all my siblings. And by the time I reached the age of 12, I joined a high school culinary conservatory arts class that I did from the age of 12. So I graduated at the age of 18. And then I moved to Charlotte, North Carolina to attend Johnson Wills University, which is a culinary arts during school where I have a degree in culinary arts and business and entrepreneurship. Um, and from there, I've just been uh, going around working, getting as much uh, skill as I can. And right now, I work at a cafe and restaurant that is in partnership with the rescue mission that helps and assists men and women that are going through substance abuse that trains them in the every capacity of a restaurant and cafe and helps them get back on their feet and basically re-entering the world in a more structured and prepared sense. That is amazing. What a background. Yeah, what a rap sheet. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> Hang on. In America, isn't a rap sheet a bad thing? Isn't that, doesn't that mean like you've been a criminal? Oh, does it? It is. Actually. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm the one that was, has been over there and I'm getting educated by my Australian sister. Oh, I love all right. it. Well, <laughs> I'm PC so sorry. <laughs> it's all good. I was going to let it pass. I was going to let it pass. Let oh, it you're too it. kind. Uh, you're too kind. Okay, let's head into our questions. <laughs> so today, Today's episode is all about how to organize your kitchen like a chef. And I think the idea of having a kitchen that's fully functional is very appealing to me. I'm a huge fan of a fully functioning kitchen. It is my zone in the house that I'm really passionate about being beautiful, but just really practical. I love getting up in the morning and having a clean slate so that anything can be cooked. And it's also super hygienic as well. 
Kyle, with a lot of our clients, we have a lot of people who get really stuck on what to keep and there's a lot of that ideal versus reality problem that people are are having that gap of, I want to be that parent who cooks, you know, a 10 course degustation um, and so I need all of these tools to help me be able to do that in the off chance that I actually do that even though it's probably not a reality. So from your point of view as a chef, what are the main tools that every house needs? Yeah, so the biggest ones are you want really, really good knives. On top, not only is a sharp and high quality knife the safest piece of equipment, it can also be one of your best investments. So if you're buying, you know, this pretty multicolored $10 knife set and all of the knives are serrated, um, and you're buying that again another three months later, then that's defeating the purpose of what you're doing. And also dull knives is the most dangerous tool in the kitchen. Cause most damage, that's how you end up losing fingers. So dangerous. So investing in a really good knife kit or knife set, uh, which really won't break your bank that much because if you invest in a good one and you're able and learn how to take care of it, it can last you for years. I've had four knives that I've been using since I was 11 years old. Really? Um, I probably spent, yeah, um, I probably spent anywhere between $80 on a knife to, I think the most expensive knife I own is probably 350 maybe 400 Wow. Um, but these are like true investments. And again, if you're at home, you don't have to invest $400 in a knife if you're not using it for your professional work. But yeah, so knives, um, really good cutting boards. I recommend buying at least two or three, one centered on raw meat and one centered on vegetables and fruit. Because chopping boards are one of those things that I, there's so many different varieties of them. Do you go wooden? Do you go plastic? Yeah, Yeah, and you've got the thin plastic and you've got the thick plastic. And then how do you actually keep them hygienic? So one of the things you just mentioned there was that you have boards designated purely for meat and then boards designated for everything else. Is that right? Yes, correct. If you want to look cute and pretty, wooden boards are the way to go. They are cute and pretty. (laughs) Well, isn't that why we really They really are. (laughs) They really are, and I'd be lying if I said I didn't have a couple of wooden boards in my cabinet. But for functionality and longevity, especially for the at-home cook, it's a lot more functional to order and buy. I would say like on the thicker side of uh, plastic cutting boards, especially when dealing with raw meat. You don't want to have the accident of not properly cleaning a wooden board after you cut chicken raw chicken on it. Yeah. And then you cut vegetables on it the day later. This is making and me a rethink really good all way of, of my cleaning those. <laughs> <laughs> Great way of cleaning that is simply like soaking in bleach overnight um, for the plastic ones. And that's a really easy way of maintaining them. And they clean much easier than wooden. And never buy a glass cutting board, please. It is literally one of the worst things you could ever do to your knives is using oh, a glass cutting board. Not to mention the sound when the oh, knife hits yes. it. Oh. Nails on uh, the Not a fan. And then investing in really good pots and pans, uh, stainless steel. Avoid most aluminum. I'm more of considering the uh, bottom base of the pans in terms of how they induct heat. So for some, there is a higher, there's like um, alloy aluminum or alu- aluminum. Oh, very oh, good. Very good. <laughs> um, there's some alloy versions of those that are pretty high quality. But um, like I always work with stainless steel, cast iron, some form of an alloy of aluminum or um, nonstick Teflon, which 
technically isn't healthy for you, but you know, it makes cleanup a lot easier. And if you're, especially if you're a busy mum, it's so annoying to cook and then have everything get stuck to your pan. So if you know you can rely on a nonstick yeah. surface, I just feel like it's a much quicker process for you. Mm. So Kyle, at our house, we switched maybe a year ago to cast iron and we've just got two frying pans, one which is a stainless steel Rayco, which we got 11 years ago when we got married and I love it. It's just that small kind of um, mm. saute pan. And then we've got like a big cast iron one and I love it, but it is so darn heavy and I can't actually tip anything out of it because the pan's too heavy oh. for my wrist to hold. So we've actually just ordered a new smaller cast iron one so that weak old me can <laughs> use it. it. To be fair, it is pretty heavy. It is. And that's not it's, it's not great great on your wrist, but cast no. iron is awesome for keeping all those flavours in your pan. Yeah, and you can leave the stove on for yep. three hours burning your cast iron <laughs> pan and it's actually good for it. Confession. It is. <laughs> that wasn't intentional, was No, it? I absolutely no. love cast iron. Yeah, absolutely love cast iron. It's a great to use. Um, it's specifically for flame. Um, I found it struggles a little bit on electric stove tops um, in terms of heating, but it's one of the best conductors and inductors of heat. Um, it's also healthy for you. The natural iron that comes out of cast iron is actually it's healthy healthy for the body. Seasons well over time. And I mean, my grandmother is eighty three years old. She has the same cast iron pan from when she was seventeen. What? So, you know, obviously, if you if if you take care of a cast iron skillet, it will last generations. That's, That's amazing. Oh, that is so cool. Are you okay. feeling inspired now? I am feeling like the money we spent buying this extra eighty dollar cast iron smaller frying pan is going to be well worth it. Yeah, definitely. You just need to take care of it. Yeah, Absolutely. that's that's amazing. Mm-hmm. Kyle, is there anything else you think is essential for homeowners to have in their kitchen? This may not necessarily be essential but it will be a great buy. Um, I'm not sure how this company is uh, internationally, but Vitamix blenders. Uh, Do we, I, I think we have a Nutribullet. We have a Nutribullet, which is a similar sort of thing. Nutribullet is also very good, especially for at home. But um, even in professional kitchens, everyone has the Vitamix, and I have a personal one at my, where I live. Um, it just has so many uses. Um, the company does a great job of like lifetime warranties of being able to switch out parts and pieces whenever anything breaks down, which it never does. So that is a great investment and a great buy. Bonnie and I both have a product that's here in Australia. It's German made and you may have it in the States too called a Thermomix. I don't know if you've heard of that, Kyle. Thermomix. So the, hmm. it's, it's, a, it's similar in the sense that it's like an all-in-one machine where it like does a bunch of different functions. Like it's, but it's much bigger than a Nutribullet. Oh yeah, like takes up a lot of kitchen space. But for us, it was like that, it was an investment, but it mm. has changed how we cook. And yeah, because it cooks, it sautés, it chops, it needs it. Yeah, it steams. does a whole a whole host of things. Um, so a lot, and it's a two thousand dollar machine, and so when people buy one, they generally get rid of you know the blender, the food processor, yeah. the kitchen master, and that sort of stuff, and kind of down because it's all in one now. And bench space is prime real estate, and so you want to be able to get rid of excess appliances and mm. combine them into one if that is a priority for you and of course if you can afford it like we acknowledge that's a crazy amount of money to spend on an appliance like for me my wishing well at my wedding was so I could buy it because it was something that meant a lot to me mm. now one question I have for you Kyle that we talk about here a lot in Australia and I kind of think why do we have it is a melon baller do we really need one <laughs> 
Absolutely not. No one needs a melon baller. You heard it um, here first. <laughs> my biggest proponent against what you don't need is your in your kitchen is unitaskers. Yes. They are the captains of taking up space. You see it on Pinterest or on Instagram. It's something cute. You're able to do your little DIY things with it and you never use it again. Yes. So melon ballers, uh, banana holders, strawberry <laughs> deep hitters. Like, guys, come on. Uh, let, let's be smart. Let's be strategic about this. You, you are a man after my own heart. Yeah. <laughs> I think a lot of Tupperware ladies just fainted hearing that news. Yes, sorry. They, they are pretty passionate about the melon baller. <laughs> or they're very passionate about the uni, what did you call them? Unitaskers. Unitaskers. Yes, I, I love it. That's yeah. great. He so, called me, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> no, the novelty it never wears off. Um, I, I think it's important. Like if you're looking at your kitchen, you're looking at your drawers and you're thinking, oh, this space is cluttered. If you can go through, maybe pull out all your uni taskers and go, have I got something else in my kitchen that will do this function? And then mm. maybe that's a good opportunity to remove it. That's very true. Okay, so on that point, a lot of people fight with me and I say fight because I'll say, do you need two sets of measuring cups? And they will fight me on it because they say, yes, I do. What if one gets dirty? But I'm a firm believer that you just wash it up as you go and you use it again. So what's your thoughts on this, Chef Kyle? Unless you're in a professional kitchen and you're trying to cook for 300 people within the next five hours, and you need to be measuring multiple things at the same time for multiple different reasons, then no, you do not need two sets of measuring devices. Or unless I can see maybe a justification of someone, you have someone within your family or household who has severe allergies and the Mm, possibility of cross-contamination. But outside of those, um, it's really not a use for it. Again, it's, you know, most people, the average family has four or five members, if not less, and it's an easy just wipe or rinse out and remeasuring whatever it is. Boom. Beautiful. <laughs> you still, Bonnie feels so vindicated. I so do. And tongs, <laughs> salad tongs or serving tongs are another thing that people feel oh. like they need to have half a dozen pairs. You know what I think that is? I think it is that idea of I'm going to entertain and have a party and I'm going to put out a bunch of different dishes like buffet style and yeah. so I need to have serving tongs for each of that. But it, I think it would depend on how often you actually do entertain. Mm. As a big thing mm-hmm. to consider. Yeah, because a lot of people are trying to organise their kitchen for that ideal of I'm having a big party and lots of people over, when realistically you might do that once every year or two and how many people do you have in your village that you can say, hey, can you bring a dish and please bring your serving tongs or something like that? We yeah. borrow. Yeah, you can you can borrow. And then that helps you to get back that space you're looking for in your kitchen. So, Kyle, as a chef, obviously it's super important that – your kitchen is organized. Like, as you just mentioned, cooking for 300 people, you have to have good systems in place. It cannot be chaotic. Mm. So what are the benefits of having an organized kitchen? The benefits of having an organized kitchen. Oh, wow. Like that's food. Y'all going to need me on for another two hours to go into the detail <laughs> for it. The biggest one, speaking on a professional level, which also translates just to being at home, is speed and timeliness. If you're not having to waste time 
trying to find where you put your black pepper and your cumin and why it's not next to the salt. Why is your sugar in the refrigerator? <laughs> um, and there, there's just no structure. Everything's all over the place. Then something that should have took you 30 minutes is now taking you two hours. And the exact same thing translates to the professional kitchen. If I'm wasting time trying to find where my butter is or trying to figure out why my jasmine rice is in the bin that's labeled converted rice, then, you know, it wastes so much time and time is what keeps us employed, mm. honestly. Like, how quickly are you able to get this much done with this amount of effort and organizing your space both right in front of you and on the more macro level just can make life so much easier for you and the professional and at home kitchen. Yeah, time management is key. It's your most precious resource. Yeah, one of Bonnie's favorite mantras. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, Kyle, I think it's time for you to have a little bit of a fess up. So we're going to take a break now and we're going to hear Kyle's Clutter Confession. Clutter Confessions. Ooh, I would definitely have to say baseball hats, caps, baseball caps. I've been collecting baseball caps since I was a kid. Right now, currently, I have 64 baseball caps. And I've had, I've had multiple times where I've just went out and given a whole lot away and donated them or uh, threw some out just because they got too dingy or whatnot. So I would definitely say over my lifetime, I have owned anywhere between 150 to 200 hats. Okay. So two questions. One, have you tried putting all the caps on your head <gasps> that at one time? Question. <laughs> <laughs> and then question two, I- where do you store them? <laughs> I have not ever tried to put them all on my head at one time. It would ruin the shape. I, like the I am fun. a cap connoisseur. Like the storage, Lily knows the story. She's seen me how I am with my hat. Like I clean my hats every other every other week, depending on usage. And based on storage of them, I have a I have two closets, like a smaller like that basically looks like a broom closet, and then my clothes closet. So I've designated this broom closet with shelves in them that I have stored each of my hats in and then for the excess I have certain hats that are like fit the exact same size so I just have them very neatly stacked with paper towels in between them Wow! Um, and some towels stuffed in the bottom so that they're able to keep their shape. You know Kyle judging from what you've described and how you take care of your cat your your cats your hats (laughs) you're not a cat lady. I would feel really confident going to a restaurant where you cook knowing I would get a meal that's completely like hygienic. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like if he's, like he's, he's taking care of his hats like that, what's he doing he's in the He's got to be really good with his food, yeah. You know, that also brings up a really interesting point because a lot of people when they have collections like you do, they have really good ideals for it and they might – say, okay, I want to build a space to be able to display all these things. But in the meantime, they get stuck in these boxes and that just turns into years and years of storing them in boxes, which is not presenting them or displaying them. But I love that you've actually got a dedicated space. You've got a system for how they're stored and, you know, it keeps them in good condition. And you're actively taking care of them. Yeah. But I want a photo of that. Like, yeah, you'll have to send us a photo. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) What a great confession. Yeah, I love it. So, Kyle, our next question for you is meal planning. Now, meal planning is a big buzzword. Lots of people do it and it's how you set yourself up for the week. Some people do that big cook up on like a Sunday night where they have everything sorted and then it goes into the freezer. And some people might just have, you know, do the big grocery shop and then have the meal plan list of what we're going to cook each night. So, 
Is meal planning something that is important to do? Yes, I think meal planning is incredibly important to do at any level. You're obviously going to hear me keep comparing um, at home to in a professional industrial restaurant, but you'll also see why, you know, we do them in professional industrial restaurants and why it can then coincide to success and organization in your at-home kitchen. So if you are able to, like just going into the week, plan out what your specific meals, maybe not even every meal of the day. So like maybe just planning out what your dinner is going to be for every single night or what snack or lunch you're bringing to work. It will, one, going back to this essence of time and not having to worry about, oh man, what am I going to eat today? What am I going to have to go to the grocery and, you know, go and shop for? Uh, it also helps with budgeting and getting time to set up what this specific meal is going to be, looking at the recipe, what the cost of it is. And it just, Frees up so much of your of your mental, basically, of what you're able to do in that time, which in doing that allows you to have more free time to kind of get adventurous with your food. If I'm making gumbo, and I know I'm making gumbo for Tuesday, gumbo is a New Orleans style stew. Those who don't know, I was about to say. And thanks I know for I'm clarifying. Gumbo and two. People would have been like Gumby, what? <laughs> Gumby. <laughs> <laughs> so is gum? Sorry, is gumbo like Creole? Uh, gumbo is both Creole and Cajun. I will not go into the great detail, the difference between Creole and Cajun, because that will be a long rant. <laughs> but um, gumbo, gumbo is actually the uh, state dish of Louisiana. Oh, beautiful. So if I know I'm making gumbo on Tuesday and I have everything planned and ready for that, and I know just based on my meal plan and my preparation of it, that it's only going to take me an hour and a half, then I'm like, okay, I can make rice with it too. And now I have the time and space with my meal plan, the fact that everything is popped out and organized where, you know what, let's mess around. Let's make, you know, something different with the rice. Let's do a nice black pepper and bay leaf rice, or let's do a rice with pulled chicken and cumin and sumac. So, you know, it's, it's when you have the outline of laying something out, it allows for you to be more adventurous for you to kind of uh, freelance on these dishes. Yeah. And that's interesting how structure does give us freedom like we can apply that in many areas in our house and in being organized like with kids if you can provide like structured play but the space for creativity it really can help them blossom I think a lot of people avoid boundaries because they feel like they're too restrictive but boundaries actually work in opposite because if you know that you can go anywhere in this room you're free to explore anywhere in this room knowing that you're safe Mm. and that it's um, an area that you can just do whatever you want in. But if you don't know, can I go over to that corner or can I go out that door, then that's where it actually starts becoming a problem for people, not knowing if it's okay and if it's going to hurt them. For sure. Okay, so on that thought of safety and boundaries, what are some habits that people should be avoiding to keep their kitchens safe? Hmm, That is a good one. I would say the biggest one, and this really only goes if you have – a gas stove the dream is to (laughs) i have a gas stove (laughs) i know my envy (laughs) okay there you go i very much wish that i had a gas stove in my house but to regularly clean the eyes of the stove if you have a gas stove you know what the eyes mean to clean out the eyes of that i would do at least once every two weeks whoops (laughs) avoiding that too long can cause blockages within the within freeing up the gas line which can eventually take out your pilot light unknowing to you and no one wants an unlit pilot light overnight and then you light the fire back 
And yeah. Oh. Um, another one I would say is the junk drawer. Everybody has a junk drawer in the kitchen. <laughs> yes. Oh, everybody no. does. If you say, <laughs> if you cool. claim that you don't, if you claim that you don't, you're lying to yourself. Um, <laughs> which is fine. It's actually, it's, it's, it's fine to have a junk drawer, um, in my opinion, but are you cleaning it? If you're constantly throwing forks and knives and your melon ballers and your, <laughs> and your two pairs of measuring cups in this drawer and it's constantly covered, you never see the bottom, then you never think of having to clean it, right? So it's constant buildup of dust. Every now and then, if you don't dry something off properly, a little bit of water remnants will get into. If it's, I'm assuming most of the cabinets or drawers would be wood, um, mildew buildup. And that is something that you definitely don't want. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. not hygienic. And you touched on earlier as well, having like the separate chopping boards. Like I think there are plenty of people out there who cut everything on the same board. So that's a really good point <laughs> is you don't want to like. <laughs> Bonnie. I'm putting my hand <laughs> oh, up here. No. I mean, I clean it in between, but yeah. now talking to Kyle, I think I probably don't clean it well, as well as I should. <laughs> <laughs> One but we're things- all still here. <laughs> well, for now. One of the things that, that immunity. They- yeah, that's right. Yeah, keep them strong. One of the things that they've like done in shops is they've started creating those like little plastic packs where it's like, oh, red is for meat and this is for mm. that. But again, you know, as we were talking, you still want to be getting a good quality chopping board. So just making sure that you're keeping things hygienic. So there is a high risk of cross-contaminating with chopping boards. Is there anything else that we should be mindful of with cross-contamination that we may not necessarily think of? Like food storage. Like how long should we be storing our, yes. our food in the fridge? So, okay. I'm so glad you asked me this because... I don't think people realize how big of a deal that this is within the industry of how we store food and how long we store food and why we do it for that. So we are allowed to keep products only for six days at a time, right? And we have to have a labeled date of when that product was made. So if I make braised chicken thighs and I cool them down and the day that they go in that fridge, I have to put that day's date and then also have to put the closing date of six days later. If a food inspector comes in and sees that the closing date is August 17th and it's August 18th, then I can lose points on my health score just for being one day off because I don't know all the science behind it, but they've kind of like measured how quickly bacteria grows in food items. So in refrigeration, I would not keep anything outside of the realm of, you know, if I have like a cheese or something, something that obviously is not going to go bad within six days. This mostly pertains to cooked food items. I would not keep any cooked food item over six days. And there's also a standard of how we put things in our fridge based on like a peer system. So it goes at the top of your fridge. You want ready to eat food, food that you can literally take out of your fridge and eat right then and there. Then prepared food, the food that's cooked, but you're probably going to rewarm egg products, seafood products, meat products, so all of your proteins, beef, pork. And then always at the very bottom, Chicken. Chicken should always be stored at the very, raw chicken should always be stored at the very bottom of your fridge. Why? It's so interesting because crispers are always at the bottom. Yes. Then that's where they tell you to put your fruit and vegetables. And then they end up being under the meat. Like yep. I, one of the things that I do is meat goes on the bottom and then the fruit and veggies are in the drawer in the, in underneath that. But I put the meat trays on top of paper towel so it doesn't like leak anywhere. Yeah. I use a plate. If I stick anything in to defrost into, in the fridge, I will stick a plate or a bowl under it. So oh, I'm, I'm feeling grossed out. <laughs> <laughs> the, the reasoning behind that system of stacking and throwing your food is two hours or something, right? Your fruits and vegetables obviously aren't going to go bad with two hours of no refrigeration, but you have raw chicken above that 
the raw chicken then starts to seep just enough from the lack of refrigeration and there's bacteria bacteria from warm chicken that can travel down that you can't see like it won't be a liquid necessarily um and if it's getting into your ready to eat foods like fruits or vegetable and you go and you grab an apple and now you have salmonella on this raw apple that you're eating you know that's not going to end in a fun night um so yeah so it's just always having safety in that storage and then i know bonnie you asked about um like how long do you store something in the freezer really storing something in the freezer isn't based on safety because things aren't going to go bad but just knowing that the quality won't be the same Mm. so i can store um fish in my freezer for over a year but you know it's going to get freezer burnt which is when all the water molecules and within the food are affected and fully frozen and then it starts affecting the flavor and the texture. So in terms of meat and proteins, I wouldn't keep anything frozen for over a couple of, at least two or three months. And that's also depending on the protein. So like chicken, I don't keep my chicken frozen for any more than a month or two at the most. For thicker cuts like um, beef and pork, maybe like three to four months, pushing it for like maybe five or six. And then fish, I wouldn't keep fish frozen for more than personally a couple of weeks maybe like a month. That's some good stuff to know because we eat every day and we just store our food how we've you know, come to know how to do it. So there's some really good information in there, Kyle. Mm, Kyle, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us today and lend us your expertise. And I think there will be a lot of people breathing a big sigh of relief that they don't need to keep 10 pairs of salad servers or you know, three sets <laughs> of measuring cups. Although I do need to go and buy some, or a melon baller. Yes, that's right. I do need to go and buy some chopping boards now, I think. (laughs) It's definitely, it's great food for thought. So a big thank you to Chef Kyle Johnson for joining us today. Kyle, one last question for you. Where would you recommend someone has to dine if they end up finding themselves in Charlotte, North Carolina in the States? Um, I would most definitely recommend that you come to the cafe restaurant that I currently work at called Community Matters Cafe, you know. I'm always here, so if you do happen to come in, come and give me a shout-out and say hi. I'm always welcoming new faces and guests. And it sounds like you make a terrific gumbo. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not one to brag, but <laughs> I put it up against anybody's. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Thanks for joining us today, Kyle. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right, so today's tidy task, for those who are wondering – Today's tidy task is all about organizing the four basic drawers in your kitchen. So most kitchens have a bank of four to five drawers. And our task for you this week is to organize your cutlery, your utensils, your plastic wraps or your beeswax wraps if you're that sort of person. And then your last drawer is tea towels and aprons and things like that. So make sure that you organize those drawers as your tidy task this week and send us a photo. We'd love to see your progress. Come and join us on the Facebook community group, Little Home Organized Community. And if you are ready to get your kitchen organized and you're not quite sure how to begin, head to our website, littlehomeorganized.com.au forward slash organizing cheat sheet. It's just a basic five step system that you can implement in any room in your house, even in the kitchen to get started today. That's it for this week's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. We know how busy life can be and we really appreciate you lending us your ears. And remember, progress, not perfection. See you later. Bye. 
Hey, we'd love to keep the conversation going. Head over to the Little Home Organised Community Group on Facebook, ask questions, find motivation and share your before and afters. And if you enjoyed the show, please help us keep it going by hitting subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you listen. It's free and ensures you do not miss an episode. But if you really want to share the love, leave us a rating and review. Trust me, it makes all the difference in the world.